0: Hi folks, welcome to the Happysaver.com podcast. Your friends might not want to talk about their journey with money, but I do. I'm Ruth and I'm a blogger on personal finance and in this podcast series I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. Welcome to the last podcast of this series of 12. I thought to round out the series I would let you know a bit more about me as you may have been thinking who is this person who keeps on banging on about personal finance in New Zealand and I also thought that I might make this one a quick one. Yeah but realising how much I like to talk it probably won't be. So after a quick word from today's sponsor I'll get right into it. ShareSite is an online platform that I use to keep track of my investments, because although I have tried, my own spreadsheets just were not cutting it. If you buy shares or index funds each and every month, it's actually really hard to work out how your investments are performing. But ShareSite does all of this for you, including working out all of your tax obligations. You can try ShareSite for free and track up to 10 holdings, but if you have more than that, then I have a special offer which allows you to get four months for free when you purchase an annual premium plan. If you want to check it out and free yourself from your spreadsheets, go to thehappysaver.com forward slash ShareSite. I have absolutely found it to be an honour and a privilege to hear the stories of the people I've interviewed for my podcast, and it is my intention to actually take a bit of a break and then create another series, so watch this space. But today I thought I would turn my questions on myself, uh, with the first one being, who am I and what do I do? Well obviously, I'm Ruth and I'm married to Johnny, the great love of my life, the man that when I introduced him to my mother, uh, she warned me that there was something not quite right about him because he is far too nice. Uh, We have a 10-year-old daughter and we have lived in central Otago for six years because we moved here from Christchurch. It's one of the most stunning regions of New Zealand, although to be fair, most of New Zealand is pretty stunning and I know this from having moved around a bit over the years. I'm 44 but I feel 34 and education wise I have trained for several things over the years. Uh, I'm a trained vet nurse, a forklift operator and also a truck driver. I have a psychology degree and a graduate diploma in management and I've done more sales courses and workshops than I can actually recall. I've worked as a forklift driver in a chocolate factory, a dump truck operator in the mining industry a sales rep for a carpet company and also an animal equipment company. I was a business development manager for a government commission and then I went to work in sales for new home builds. But then I kind of stopped. Um, These days I don't do near as much paid work as I used to but this is actually by choice. I started my working life making peanuts on minimum wage. I think it was like $8 an hour. I made the big bucks in the mining industry and I also made a consistently high income in sales roles for pretty big companies and then I have actually been trending down the pay scale ever since. But I've had a pretty good reason. I had a little tiny baby to look after and I did the mother of all unpaid roles for four and a half years before I went back to working part time and Johnny actually quit his work and he took over childcare. So I've been very fortunate but a lot of good fortune is actually created and not stumbled upon. And life has also thrown me quite a few lemons to keep me on my toes, so every day I'm busy perfecting my lemonade recipe. Now I write my blog, The Happy Saver. Uh, I produce this podcast, which creates a little bit of income, and I work on average a 14-hour week in the office of a really busy automotive shop. I'm now on one of the lowest pays I've ever received. I just make $22 an hour, but that is a fair pay for what I do. And it is actually one of the most rewarding and entertaining places that I've ever worked. I often reference in my blog how much I do love going to work and I do genuinely look forward to a Monday morning, which makes me odd, I know. And as for Johnny, he used to have his own graphic design company with a bunch of mates and he now works as a freelance graphic designer, hence my site looking so slick, and he works from home part-time. So for us, two part-time jobs almost make up a full-time role. I've been asking the question for a while now why it is that people don't want to talk about money and I reckon you can break people down into just two camps. Those who are just simply not interested in money, they are just not, they see no more reason to talk about personal finance than they do about calculus, they just have zero interest in the topic and I have astute enough people skills to realise when to shut up and to just change the subject already. But then there are others that do want to discuss it. But the general rule is that you don't do this in polite society. On more occasions than I can count, I've mentioned my blog and I've given these people the opportunity to chat and they just go for it. For this podcast, I have sometimes struggled to convince people to speak to me and share their story, even if they remained anonymous. And I even had a whole podcast in the bag and had people pull the pin because they were nervous about having their money journey shared. And it was such a shame because they had such a good journey to share and from where I was sitting they had done everything right in their life and so many others could have learned from them. And I've found that those who have made mistakes are actually more willing to talk about it so that others don't go down the same path and that those who have succeeded want to keep that success private because they do think that they will be judged by others. For me, I don't feel any nervousness talking about how money plays a role in my life and I'm happy to answer absolutely any question asked of me and I think that this is why my blog is successful because oftentimes I'm the only person someone can talk to about it. I don't care if people ask me what I earn or how much I have or they want to argue with me on why I don't like property investment. I'm just honoured that people that I do not even know will send me a huge email detailing their financial life so that we can just have a chat about it. And this is when they won't even speak with their best friend. So my conclusion is that we all just need to talk more about how money plays a role in our lives next question is if I were given $10,000 right now what would I do with it? I'd shout yippee for a start and then I would actually book a family holiday to Vietnam which would likely spend a lot. Our net worth is gently growing now because of the investments I've set up so an extra $10,000 would be the cherry on the top that I could use to create a really cool family memory. Six months ago I may have given a different answer but I've lost two people very near and dear to me very recently. And when that happens, it brings life into a sharper focus and it's short, it's meant to be lived and sometimes I actually just need to loosen up on the purse strings a bit and say yes to a bit of adventure in my life. And losing people you love, it also makes you focus on your own relationship and through my blog and podcast, I've come to realise that those people who are in a relationship have to be on the same page to succeed financially and Johnny and I are no exception to this. Every time I write something it is peppered with we, our and us. Not just me, myself and I because we are 100% in sync when it comes to money. It is me who tracks our spending and puts pretty colours on our spreadsheet but it is us that decides what we spend money on and neither have to ask the other for permission to spend but both of us have an innate rule that has just evolved without really even having a conversation about it and that is if it's a bigger purchase then we make it together. I'm very lucky and so is he. Now I, like you, have financial habits. These are just things that I just automatically do and in fact they are so automatic and ingrained I really had to think hard about what they actually are. But number one is I track every cent that comes in and out of our lives. I've done this seriously now for just over three years using a spreadsheet on my computer and prior to that it was actually just on graph paper and it has been the absolute best way to clearly show me where we are at with our earnings, with our expenses and with our investments. Number two is I don't spend much. I have got myself to a point in life where apart from travel there is actually nothing that I desperately want or need. If I was sent out on a shopping spree today, I would seriously come back empty-handed. I'm just not interested in acquiring more stuff to clutter up my house. In fact, I'm actually doing the opposite by giving a lot of it away for free. Now, a trip downtown does take me uh, longer than most, though, (laughs) as I'm more likely to bump into people I know and stand on the footpath chatting to them for ages than looking in the shops themselves and just ask my daughter. She hates it when mum gets to chatting when I'm downtown. Number three, reduce, reuse, recycle, and I can thank my upbringing for always turning to the three R's before I turn to the fourth R, which is retail. Our blender blew up recently and was unfixable, so my first protocol to replace it was our recycling centre, and for 20 bucks, I picked up a replacement blender in perfect condition that had been electrically tested, and when I googled it, this model is still selling in the shops for over 100 bucks. Then my coffee plunger got smashed in the dishwasher. I found one for a dollar at my local hospice shop and the exact same one at Briscoe's for $25. And as for my money elevator pitch, well I find myself often saying that you can't make money while you owe money and I do firmly believe that there is no such thing as good debt and having zero debt is the best way to get ahead. And I have learned that the sooner you say goodbye to any form of debt, whether it be credit cards, car loans, student loans or a mortgage, then the freer you become. Life becomes far less complicated when you don't have to pay a banker before you pay yourself. I love hearing about other people and their wins with money and it's fun to be able to share mine because my biggest financial triumph was stopping attending university in Dunedin after just two years of study. Now my dad, he was a wonderful man who taught me a huge amount of useful things in life but handling money was definitely just not one of them. He told me to get a student loan when I went to study because I would never have to pay it back as he thought the government would find it impossible to keep track of everyone who owed the money. So at the age of 21, off I went to study with absolutely no money in the bank, but I started a student loan, which at that stage also attracted interest of 7.2% and it began to grow. And I also got myself an overdraft with my bank. Now nearing the end of my second year I received my loan balance in the post and in today's money it was about $12,000 and you can add another couple of thousand for my overdraft and I thought shit I can see where this is going. So as a student I received a very small student allowance which was means tested against my parents income. Now that helped a great deal but even with my weekend job as a vet nurse I was still really broke and the thought that this would be my lot for the next couple of years was actually really daunting. So that summer I got a job and I got a really really good job my dad was a truck driver, and I love trucks. And I had spent six months at Polytech getting, among other things, my heavy trade licence, which granted was pretty odd for a young woman weighing in at fifty uh, something kgs. But um, every Thursday for five weeks of my summer holiday, I drove up to a place called McCrae's Gold Mine that operated about half an hour away from where my parents lived, and I asked them for a job driving dump trucks. And every Thursday they said no. Until by week five they realised that I was actually not going to give up and they finally said yes. So I started there working 72 hour weeks on rotating shifts, earning what to me was a huge $45,000 per year. And when it was time to go back to uni, I didn't. I kept working and I kept saving. Then a year later an opportunity came up to go to Australia and drive much bigger 150 tonne dump trucks and to earn $72,000 a year with fewer hours plus it was all expenses paid as I lived in a mining camp out in the boondocks. Now that remains one of the most interesting jobs I've had and sometimes I'm still surprised at my tenacity and determination to do it even though I was one of only a small handful of women working with hundreds of blokes. But it was mostly a really good experience and one where I was able to teach a number of rednecked men exactly what I thought of sexual harassment in the workplace. Yeah, not much. And that experience is also the reason why I am fiercely for women being independent and successful in their own right and a man was never my financial plan. Now after two years of mining, I went back to uni, I paid off my student loan In actual cash, as the bank was going to charge me $25 for a bank check and I was determined not to spend a penny more than required, and I then paid for the rest of my education and all my living costs in cash over the coming years, and also for the next two summers I returned to the mines in Australia and I topped up my bank account. In the end I finished uni without a cent to my name, but I didn't owe a cent either. Now in hindsight... I blew a lot of money but I was young and I was having a very, very good time. I learned so many valuable lessons from those years and driving those massive trucks, it still gives me a buzz when I think about it. Working out what my greatest financial flop was is pretty tough because like most of the people I spoke with, the things they did wrong led them to learn a whole lot so they could do things better next time and I'm no exception. Johnny and I bought shares in the tech boom when we knew nothing about what we were buying and we promptly lost $5,000. We have bought five brand new cars, uh, but only regret it slightly, even though in hindsight we should have just built a fire and burned our money because it would have had the same outcome. My current regret is having such a large chunk of our net worth tied up in the home we live in and it puts us in the position of being asset rich but cash poor with a portfolio which is weighted in my mind a little too heavily with property. So my financial flop is actually ongoing and the debate rages on as to whether to sell up and find something cheaper so that we can invest the cash or to just stay put in a house that we do love. It's quite tricky. The next question of if I could retain all of the knowledge I have today regarding money and I could go back to my 15-year-old self and start again What would I do whether it be the same or something different? Now I would wish upon a star that someone like me would have taken me under their wing at the age of 15 and educated me about money. A clear memory I have from about that age is sitting on my bed atop the quilt my mum had slaved over sewing. I had just asked my mum for something. I don't know what, it was possibly the latest Rick Astley tape and she had explained that they could not afford to buy it for me. And I just recall I had my legs crossed and I was thinking to myself, when I'm older, I'm going to have the ability to buy what I want, when I want, and money is going to give me freedom. Now, had a financial theory appeared at that very moment and begun my education, I would have reached financial freedom far, far faster than I actually did. And that is a thing I have found through meeting people through my blog. Many of us, we do get there in the end, but it takes many, many years to work it all out. It's like each of us has to discover the wheel for the very first time, but we don't tell anyone else how we did it. Instead, we sit and we watch and we wait for them to struggle and work it out by themselves. So, onto that four-letter word, debt. Do I have any? not a penny. Now from time to time I do borrow $20 from my daughter's piggy bank but she needles me hard to get it back pretty quick so she adds to my general view that debt is a pain in the ass. There is always pressure to pay it back. I or we have had debt in the past in the form of our mortgage when we bought our first home and a year or so into this mortgage we also made the classic mistake of buying a brand new car, a lovely wee Mini Cooper and added part of the cost of that to the mortgage. And we did this without even blinking. We asked the bank, and to our great surprise, they said, sure, no worries guys, just sign here. And we had good salaries to easily make the payments, and no way on earth were they going to caution us that this was a potentially dumb idea. When we applied for a mortgage, the bank was actually willing to lend us more than double of what we ended up borrowing. And instead of us thinking that must make us really rich and awesome that they wanted to give us that much money, we actually thought of the bank, are you crazy? So we bought a modest house in an average suburb and we set about making it pretty. We paid off the mortgage when I was about 32 and before we welcomed our daughter into the world. And this was a strategic decision because I knew that I would be losing my salary and my ability to work full time. And I remember when our mortgage was fully paid back, I went into the bank and I asked them to cancel the lending facility because we were on a revolving credit mortgage and we could have drawn down on it at any time again. The woman I spoke to really strongly cautioned us to keep the lending in place because (laughs) in case we went for a drive in the weekend and saw another house that we just simply wanted to buy and I had to literally argue my case to get rid of it and I know that she thought I was being foolish. Now my mortgage experience has given me a pretty healthy scepticism of banks ever since. Now I thought I would slip in here that we do have a credit card and we have had the same one for years and it goes without saying that we pay it off in full every month. It has a very average reward scheme attached to it but each year we get a couple of hundred bucks from it that we can put towards the stupid fee that they charge although I did manage to have no fees for several years but that's another story and the rest just goes into my banker's cash I did try to get a better card but the banks are turned me down. We earn too little apparently so they are worried about our ability to pay it back despite the fact that we have no other debt and we have a house and investments. Now at first I was actually disgruntled but then I thought heck yeah I don't need them and they don't want me and this is a perfect result and another notch in my financially independent belt. Once we paid our mortgage off because that money was no longer being directed into debt repayment, it just started accumulating in our bank account instead and that is what got me started on investing because I knew we needed to find somewhere to put it and then a whole new learning curve opened up to me and I started looking around for options with the very limited knowledge that I had. Now I started with buying bonus bonds and also paying into a managed fund each month And I really enjoyed keeping a close eye on what was happening there but I always had the need to meddle in what was going on. Having always kept such a close eye on money because I had to, it took a lot of getting used to to just put money into funds and just walk away. Money had always had a purpose for debt repayment and now it didn't and I didn't actually know what we were saving for. And just on our savings rate, it fluctuates up and down over the years and it's impossible to maintain a set percentage. So some years we would have saved as much as 70% of our income and others we saved zero because we were just not working. But whenever we have an income, we push money into savings on a monthly basis and we never miss a month. So fast forward to today, 11 years since we became mortgage free, and I now consider myself to be a saver and not a spender. I am 100% a saver without a doubt and I will easily forego buying something today if it will let us get ahead tomorrow and I feel no personal loss by doing so. I, like I said, don't actually enjoy shopping and I get bored by it very easily. I preferred being downtown and bumping into friends and having a yarn instead and I think that's why leaving Christchurch and moving to a small town like Alexandra without its big malls is of absolutely no hindrance to me and I much prefer a wander around a second hand store any day where I might buy something I need for $2 or I might buy absolutely nothing at all. The only exception to my um, frugal ways is that we do love to travel. And this severely impacts on my being a hardcore saver and it takes me a long time to agree to a trip. Johnny, he says to me, just tell me how much I can spend and I will work out where we can go. And it does make it tricky because friends sometimes confuse my saver mindset and long-term planning with being too frugal. But I now understand that what I do today has an impact on what we want to do in five years. 10 or 20 years' time. So, yes, we have the cash available to go on holiday, but that cash is actually extremely busy, earning us more cash. And withdrawing large chunks of money on a regular basis is without doubt going to mean we have to work for longer than we would like. But I'm not a complete spendthrift. I do obviously spend money and I have the odd splurge, but they are less than what they used to be because I'm pretty content with what I have. So, our splurge is probably just a very good bottle of whiskey. Enjoyed with an ice cube and just a good conversation with friends, nice and easy. And in regards to money, I got to thinking about what keeps me awake at night. Well, worrying about money never keeps me awake at night. My only concern is that when we are so young and so awesome in our 40s, I would like to have the bank balance of many of the retirees I know and then we could travel the world and enjoy every moment instead of the trips we take, that they are fantastic, but they are always too short, and they are always sticking to a budget. I love the idea of spending six months travelling the world, but our daughter would be horrified at leaving school and her friends to do this, so I need to be content and I need to bide my time. So I thought I would share with you how our money is structured, and it starts with a good emergency fund. Johnny and I share accounts and apart from KiwiSaver, everything we do is combined. I always have a cash account with my bank which always has between ten and $20,000 in it. I have first-hand experience of the importance of an emergency fund and for me, as for many who have lived in Christchurch, September 2010 sticks in my mind as a turning point. Now, I won't go into the detail of the weeks, the months and the years that dragged on for us after all the earthquakes began because for all involved, it was a deeply traumatic experience. But I will share with you a walk that Johnny and I took along the banks of the Avon River during that time. Now, I was not working as I was a stay-at-home mum, and Johnny's job was uncertain due to them losing their building in the earthquake. We were taking stock of our situation, and I said that we had always been saving for a rainy day, not knowing what it would look like when it arrived. And I said, look, well, Johnny now it is absolutely pouring down and I don't know what the next few months will bring but I can assure you that we have more cash than I think we will need on hand and of all the things we need to worry about, money is just not one of them okay. And as it turned out, Johnny gave up his job and did not work again for another year. We had no income coming in but as a family of three, we all needed each other for support and our fund paid for that. So then... Back in 2015 I finished work one Friday and I tidied up my desk so it was nice and neat and tidy for Monday but I never made it back into work because over the weekend both of my parents became seriously ill and they needed me and I did not return to work for another year while I helped them both and once again our fund made that possible and that is what financial freedom means to me. The ability to focus on what needs to be done and to not have to worry about the money. So. Some may think I'm foolish to have cash sitting earning epoxy 3% but having the money immediately available gave us so much peace of mind and it led us buy very freely whatever it was that we needed at that time. It helped us move on and it led us leave Christchurch and set up a new life in central Otago while we argued and argued with the insurance company over getting paid out for our condemned house and it helped me to be a good daughter to my parents who have done so much for me. So that is the emergency fund sorted, I still have it sitting around to this day, I hope I don't need it soon, Um, but next I'll mention index funds and shares and what I'm into these days. Well now, (laughs) I'm all about the index funds and I have two funds with smart shares, I have the New Zealand Top 50 and also the US Top 500, and I pay into these every month without fail with a regular savings plan, plus I also often buy lump sums if the cash is available. Both Johnny and I have small and often irregular incomes but because we have no debt and live cheaply saving is always still possible. I started with the NZ Top 50 fund first just to test the waters and then I started with the US fund. I won't be adding any more funds in the short term but I will over time um, as I want to get the balances of each up much higher than what they are right now and by branching out to a third fund I will just be diluting my investment at this stage. I also do have individual shares by way of Meridian shares because, yes, I'm the mum and dad investor that John Key, the ex-Prime Minister, wanted to get involved in the share market when he sold off our state assets. This was my first proper foray into buying shares and I recall the process being quite drawn out but one that ultimately worked in my favour. I paid for half of the shares up front and received a dividend as if I owned them outright, which was pretty sweet. And I finally ended up with just over 6,000 shares, which is less than what I actually wanted, but that's fine. They give me a dividend twice a year, which I get a real thrill out of receiving. But truth be told, my index funds are performing better and I actually own Meridian shares in my New Zealand Top 50 index fund anyway, so I'm kind of double invested. I'm thinking of selling these Meridian shares after I receive my next dividend, but I'll see how that one goes. Now I track how my shares and index funds are going using a great program called ShareSite. So using the tools they offer, I can see how each fund is performing and I'll be reassessing Meridian in a couple of months time. Now it will come as no surprise to you that I am involved in KiwiSaver. Uh, Johnny and I both are and we are with a Simplicity Growth Fund and I'm really happy with its performance and with the low fees and the concise user experience. And my favourite colour is orange so that really helps too. Our funds are well up over $100,000 combined and my lovely employers contribute to it each week for me as well. I had paid voluntarily into each fund for quite a long time to get the value up, but now we are putting the minimum in there of $1,042 so we can get the member tax credit of $521 a year from the government. Now I am content to let compound interest work its magic. And I'm focusing on pushing money into my index funds because if I grow that, it's money we can access uh, if we need it before retirement. I also have gold, the real shiny physical stuff. I have less than I used to, but I still just hold on to two ounces, which are worth about 3800 Not a lot, but I still enjoy having something so tactile around. Gold is really pretty and it's really shiny and I thoroughly enjoyed the process of learning about it meeting some real characters who have a history with it, including an actual gold miner. Uh, I loved purchasing it and having it turn up on the courier and then selling it to a man who literally toted a briefcase around with him. That was a pretty fun day. And um, of course, if you follow my blog, you will know that more recently we have bought some Bitcoin. Don't get too excited. We didn't buy it at $7 a coin or anything, but instead we bought into it in the last quarter of 2017. Yep, as it was on the rise but before it hit its peak. Johnny, to be fair, had been telling me about Bitcoin for years so it was him that finally bought some and so far he has resisted the urge to tell me I told you so. Now I do realise that this is speculation and not investment but once again it's a cool thing to be involved in and it has been an education in itself. Bitcoin for me is a superb way to work out my tolerance for risk because it is so crazy volatile, but I have really enjoyed the ride. Both gold and Bitcoin have provided me more education than I could put a price on and I have no regrets about having a go with either of them. Now finally we have our house, our fare. When I calculate our net worth each month on my fabulous spreadsheet, I actually don't include our house, which we do own outright. Although it is appreciating in value it fails to provide us any sort of income for which I actually resent it. After the Christchurch earthquakes it took us two and a half years to be paid out for our house which we also owned without a mortgage. A house is such an illiquid asset and is one of the main reasons I'm pushing as much as I can into our other investments so I can diversify out of housing but Just like in Christchurch we find ourselves once again in the same position of having a large amount of our wealth tied up in bricks and mortar. If someone walked up my driveway and offered to buy it I would consider it carefully as that would actually give us the push to activate our downsizing plan and I would then purchase a far cheaper house and push a large chunk of money into other investments that provide a regular income. Now talking about our own house brings me to talking about what my thoughts are on property investment, such a polarising topic. Now try as I might, I still have absolutely zero interest in acquiring more property. In fact I'm trying to have less of an interest in it and that is despite watching the value of my own house rise, I get it, property is having a major surge at the moment but it's the debt side of the equation that makes absolutely no sense to me. And I've met more than my fair share of people for whom having a rental property has actually been a cataclysmic failure. It all seems too much of a fine balance when you take on such a large mortgage to buy a property that you then receive such a really poor return on. And to make it work, you need to own your houses outright. Too many of the property investors I meet mostly always focus on the current low mortgage rate that they are paying, and the capital gains that they are desperately hoping to receive and really on the tenants who pay the rent and I personally think the system is out of whack and the purpose of being a landlord to provide a roof over someone's head has actually been forgotten but it's not an argument I'm ever going to win and my aversion to debt would never let me be involved anyway. As to how I worked out where to invest well it just came down to educating myself. Like I said, after we paid off the house, I knew enough to know that I needed to put our money somewhere where it could give us a return, and I tested those waters with bonus bonds and managed funds. But relatively quickly I began to realise that bonus bonds were not the path to riches, and although I didn't yet know about the big fee debates that are today such a common topic with our managed funds, etc, I did think at the time I'm paying an awful lot of money for someone to look after my money. And I also knew that no one would care about my money as much as I did. At the time, we were using a financial advisor who came very well recommended by family, who set us up, and he was and still is a bloody nice bloke, but I was beginning to learn more and understand more about how those funds worked and how an index fund works. Over time, I transitioned to looking after everything myself. The personal finance, blogging, podcasting, and Facebook communities drew me in and I steadily learned more and I became more confident. I started my blog to try to make it easier for those just starting out, and I continue to really enjoy sharing the things I'm trying and providing a free resource to help others invent their own wheels, if you like. Now, as I mentioned, we have a daughter, she's just lovely, who is now 10 and our careful budgeting prior to her existence and since she entered our lives means that work has never ever gotten in the way of quality time with her. She is extremely fortunate that either Johnny or myself were full-time parents from day one and every day of her school life so far she has had us waver off in the morning and have either one or even both of us collect her in the afternoon much like our own upbringing. And I am also planning her financial future and have done since the day she was born actually one of my very first excursions out of the house with my brand new little baby was to post a letter that was signing her up for KiwiSaver and as you often hear me mention in my blog she gets to hear me rabbit on about personal finance on a weekly basis. I think she hears a lot of a lot of what I say is blah 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 but I know through her actions that a lot of it is actually sinking in too. I've set up a KiwiSaver account for her which is a growth fund with simplicity where Uh, $40 per month is invested. She also has smart shares where $50 a month is invested in the New Zealand Top 50 fund and she also has a bank account where I transfer $40 a month. We use this account for those bigger school related expenses like buying her a Chromebook or an iPad or whatever and if she receives money as a gift then these gifts are invested for her and currently she has over $14,000 invested which is not bad when you are only 10. Now, I don't know what she's going to use this money for, university, travel, a house deposit. All I know is that money will give her options. And if you worry that I am making it too easy for her, then don't. When she earns a little, she contributes to these funds already. When she earns more, I'm going to step back and she's going to take over. And one day I will just have to trust that I've educated her well enough so that she makes good money decisions on her own. And if at the age of 18, she turns up in a brand new car, yeah, you can bet your bottom dollar that I will be taking immediate possession of that car. But I don't think that's going to happen. Fingers crossed. Coming back to how I learned about this stuff, I think I always had the capacity to be good with money. And when I was very young, I always remember that if I did manage to earn some, I was always pretty reluctant to part with it. I've got four siblings and I always beat them at Monopoly and it's still my favourite game. But what was the one piece of advice, either good or bad, that my parents taught me about money and what do I wish they'd taught me that I've since worked out myself? Well, if you've listened to my entire podcast series, you will have heard my sister Liz talk about what growing up was like in our household. Our house was always full of people. There were seven of us for a start, our friends and a constant supply of visitors. The kettle was always on and invariably there was a meal that could stretch to accommodate more if needed. Mum was amazing at stretching a kilo of mints to feed a huge crowd but money was always tight and I was always aware of this. My parents could give us the basic material things that we needed which were more often than not second hand and there was always a ton of love but they couldn't support our every financial whim. They always lived in their own home but there was always a mortgage attached to it up until very, very recently. I recall better periods when they had better jobs and more cash flow, and then I recall my dad in particular spending that money on really silly things. He was very generous and he would often just give money away as well, which drove my mum absolutely crazy. And what I would have wished for would have been for someone in my life to show me how to acquire wealth because I had already worked out for myself the freedom that it would give me. I just needed to know how to earn it. From time to time, a person did enter our lives who would give me just a small window into the world of those who had money, and I recall spending quite a bit of time reflecting on that. So that's why I'm doing my utmost to offer my own daughter experiences and choices so that she can learn about money. Since I didn't learn about this stuff at home, I have more than made up for it by educating myself, particularly in the last three to four years. And one of the best ways I have found is to just talk to people who appear to be good with money. And I once sat down with a guy who I knew of through my husband, and he was a successful businessman and also a millionaire many times over. And I just spent an hour asking him what advice he would give to someone like me, and he readily and freely chatted to me. Probably one of the key people who taught me a lot is actually my mother-in-law, which I know she listens to this and this is going to surprise her, one of the most under the radar women you are likely to meet. But in the last 30 years, since she was probably the age I am now really, she has just quietly and steadily gone about building up their accounts to sustain them in the retirement that they are now enjoying. And that shows me the power of steady disciplined savings and the power of compound interest over time. And then, of course, there is the personal finance community. Now, mostly I follow US and Canadian people just because I couldn't find anyone in New Zealand, hence starting up my own blog and podcast. I'm a fan of an Aussie, though. Um, His name's Scott Pape. You've probably heard of him. And he's of the Barefoot Investor fame. I have put a number of people onto his book now, and they have made huge positive changes in their lives as a result. And I really like receiving his no-nonsense Aussie humour emails. Now these days I love listening to podcasts while I'm driving or walking the dog and in particular I enjoy this kind of lengthy list but I will link to all of these in the show notes. The first one is Afford Anything, there's one called Be Wealthy and Smart, a really good one is called Choose F.I. There's a New Zealand one, hurrah, and it's called Cooking the Books, a great one is also called Death, Sex and Money, another is The Mad Scientist. Another one is Martinus and Your Money. There's one called Planet Money. Uh, there's a one called Side Hustle School, which I love. Uh, so Money with Farnoosh Tarabi is great. And then there's the Clark Howard Show. <laughs> and that's not even my entire playlist, but I don't want to bore you. So lastly I will mention Dave Ramsey who I was introduced to by a subscriber quite recently actually in late 2017 and I just love listening to his radio hour where he answers questions not all are relevant to us on this side of the world but a lot of them are and I just like his straightforward approach and listening to him has probably made me more certain of my own convictions and firmed up my views on debt being a really really bad idea. There is not a day that goes by that I don't listen to, read or talk about personal finance. I know, I'm a ton of fun. Um, Passion is an overused word, so I'll use I'm really, really fascinated by it instead. But this just happens to be what lights my fire. Other people get fired up by all sorts of other things that I would find odd too. But I think that so much money passes through our hands over the course of our lives and we have to work really hard making it. So we should take some care in how we spend and save it. I've wasted so much cash over the years, but now it is about finding that elusive work-life balance and finding a way to make every cent count. Well, I think that as a family of three, we have actually found it. People tend to be quite bemused when I explain that I only work about 14 hours a week, give or take, Johnny about 20 hours, give or take, and they wonder how on earth we survive, and more so, they wonder how it is that we are not bored with all of our free time. I in particular love my job and I love that my flexibility to change the hours I work actually gives the people I work with the ability to take time off when they need to. But I also love the other 21 hours of my day when I'm not at work and it is easy to fill up my day in a meaningful way. We are not millionaires, our current net worth, if I do include our house, is getting pretty close but we are not there yet. So it is good to dispel the myth that in order to ease back on work and enjoy life more, you need millions in the bank. We both still have to work because our house and our cars do not generate an income but our investments do and the bigger they grow, the bigger the income that they will generate. I don't want to be one of those people who was constantly saying when I retire I'm going to do A, B or C. I met a guy like that just last week actually while I was out walking the dog. I know him in passing and he told me that he hated his job and he couldn't wait till he was 65. He still has 10 years to go. I of course told him to sell his fancy house, his fancy cars and his fancy boat, none of which he actually owns he told me and to go and do something that would make him happy. He in turn told me I was bonkers and we switched to talking about the weather instead. But I think that life is too short, but it's actually really long at the same time. I'm 44 and the thought of waiting till I'm 67 to have the ability to just go for a run with no idea of how long I'm headed out for or to go for lunch in Queenstown on a Tuesday for no particular reason or to help a friend with my money or my time. That's really, really important to me. And to me, money gives me the freedom to do what I want to do. What other people have does not interest me greatly. I feel absolutely no desire to keep up with the Joneses, as with the high levels of household debt in New Zealand, so many of them are actually broke anyway. I'm just interested in meeting interesting people and I don't particularly care if they are the seasonal worker I met last week from Chile who was passing through my town or someone at the opposite end of the pay scale. I just like having a connection and a conversation with people from all walks of life because as I learned and hopefully you did as well from my podcast series, everyone has a different journey in life. They are just doing their thing the best way that they know how. So that's it for this, the very first series of the Happy Saver podcast. I'm taking a break for a while, but I'm still writing my blog over on thehappysaver.com and I put up a new post every Sunday, so make sure you subscribe to that and then you're going to be the first to hear when I release my next podcast series. And to all of the people who generously shared their story and their time with me, I have loved speaking with each and every one of you and I thank you for that. So thanks to you for listening and until next time, happy saving.